Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. So, Father, we thank you today as we come to a common table and we uh, scoot up to this common table today that you have prepared for us something for us to eat, for us to appreciate, and through it, come to know you more, come to appreciate more and more of what you've done for us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. Well, today we're calling this His Body. His Body. And we're going to start off by just looking at this. You know, of course, we're placed right here uh, the week before Easter as we start um, ascending up to this really important day for Christians around the world. Um, People will be looking at the events that led up to Jesus' death and then his burial, and then finally his resurrection. Next week we'll be talking and looking a lot at resurrection, and we have um, a baptism that parallels and actually illustrates the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. And so it, it's going to be a really, really beautiful time in celebration together of his resurrection. Today we're going to look at his body, and we're going to look at it in two different ways. The first way that we're going to look at it today is um, that the purpose of Jesus' first coming, the purpose of his first coming, uh, actually required a physical body. What Jesus accomplished in the time that he was born in a manger and then he was raised from the dead, uh, it couldn't have been done uh, by just well wishes from heaven. It couldn't be done by just a wind blowing or some kind of ethereal uh, spiritual mist settling down. It had to have been done in a physical body, a human body. What he did, uh, what he did leading up to his ministry and then uh, leading up to even further up to the day that he uh, started being tortured and, and ultimately uh, was killed was so important. And actually, uh, there were prophecies about what he would do in his ministry, messianic uh, fulfillments that were quite amazing and brilliant. He, he healed people. He opened blind eyes, and he made lame people walk. And these were things from the Old Testament prophecies that people were going, oh, could this be? Could this be that one? And there were some who did identify him, and they said, oh, this surely is the one. Because what he did, uh, he heard He heard people's cries and responded. There was one man, the Bible says, he was crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible said, Jesus stood still. He had been walking, and when he heard those cries, he literally stood still. Well, to hear required human ears. 
He heard. He saw. He was moved with compassion because of things that he saw. And the Bible says he healed things he saw. When he saw a multitude, he moved with compassion and said, let's pray. He, one time when he was moved with compassion, he fed the multitude. Um, and so by seeing required his physical eyes. He spoke, which required his mouth. Uh, he touched. One day we will personally, and I'm looking forward to that day, we will see his hands. Yes, we will see his hands. And they will still bear a scar in, in, their, in his hand, a symbol of or an evidence of the love that he had where he was hung by nails through those hands. But he touched people in his life. He, he touched people. To do that required hands of a physical body. He, had, he walked, which required legs. He ate with people, which required, again, a mouth. So the, all of these things that we've described are human things. So the will of God that was in heaven was actually and actually expressed God's heart for hurting and suffering and oppressed people was experienced on the earth through Jesus' body. Again, it wasn't just a wind, it wasn't just a whisper of something. It happened through his body. So the human body that Jesus had, just like ours, just like the bodies of other people that he lived around, the only difference between Jesus uh, and the bodies of people and the people that he lived around was that he never experienced sin. He experienced the effects of sin through other people, but of other people's lives, but he himself never participated in sin. He was, however, intentionally exposed to all kinds of sin. It was a part of God's intention that he see the condition of fallen man. So, in Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verse 15, if you look at this verse of scripture, it says, this high priest of ours, and it's speaking about Jesus, that's one of his names and it's one of his functions, high priest. He understands our weaknesses. And let's just stop right there because in the next chapter, Hebrews, the fifth chapter, there is a description of the requirements of being a high priest. Um, that were taken from the Jewish nation. A, a high priest was selected and chosen. But uh, the cri one of the main criteria for, to be a high priest is you had to be taken from among men. In other words, you couldn't have lived isolated away from uh, the human experience. You actually had to be taken from among men because one of the, one of the things that was necessary is you needed to be able to have compassion. You needed to be able to, to understand the plights of people. Jesus was not, he didn't just come as high priest um, 
with no exposure to the, the human plight. He lived among us, and then um, he became a high priest representing us, and he understands our weaknesses. Have you ever been talking to somebody that gets you? They just get you. They, um, and I'm not just saying because you're extra weird and no one gets you. I'm just saying maybe there's uh, something that you're experiencing. Either they personally experienced it as well or they have some kind of understanding. It just, it just helps you to know that um, somebody understands understands, and Jesus did. He understands our weaknesses. The Bible says he understands them. He doesn't stand critically above us and say, what? What's the deal with you? Why? He's never like that. He understands our weaknesses. Why? Because keep reading in this verse, he faced all the same testings, all of them. He faced all the same testings, but um, he did not sin. That's the only thing. The only thing different between him and us is he didn't participate in the things that we have. But he was exposed purposefully with all of them. Um, Mitch, my son-in-law, and I did a, a Sunday night uh, two or three weeks ago on the suffering that Jesus experienced in his lifetime before the Garden of Gethsemane and all of the suffering did, he did leading up to the cross, the suffering he actually uh, experienced in his lifetime. Well, what kind of suffering would that have been? What kind of suffering did Jesus experience before the Garden of Gethsemane or they beat him and crowned him with thorns? What kind of suffering was that? It was the kind of suffering that you get when you love somebody and they're suffering. I experienced that as a, as a, a mother, I, I reckon. You know, uh, when your child hurts, it's not, it's not your pain. But when your child hurts, you hurt. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Or when you love somebody, you see somebody, you care, or you're concerned about a person, you see something. Uh, it's not their pain, but their pain hurts you. And Jesus experienced our suffering long before he had to bear it himself. In other words, he was exposed intentionally by his father with our suffering. In his lifetime, he was acquainted with our pains and our problems, our sins, mistakes, and accidents. Everything from white lies, he heard it. His mates told white lies, maybe about each other, maybe to their parents, maybe about him. He experienced white lies. But purposefully, God exposed him to sin that graduated up to torture Murder and genocide, he observed things in his lifetime. He observed in people's bodies, 
uh, the result and the collateral fallout, the damage that came as a result of sin. It's called the curse. There's weakness that happens in all the physical symptoms of the body. The brain, the mind, the emotion gets twisted and weakened. Moral character uh, falters and staggers. All of those things are weakened as a result of sin. Jesus observed it in people, and he didn't look at it in a cavalier in an attitude like, <laughs> such a problem you guys had. It affected him. Years ago, I had a dream. I won't go into the details of the dream, but when I got up to pray about the dream, it was a horrible dream, and it really was an, uh, something the Lord had alerted me about a situation. He made me see it. I couldn't sleep. I got out of bed, and I uh, got down on my knees to pray, and when I started praying, I had a vision, and I saw a massive, way, way bigger than this room. Couldn't hardly see the ends of any of the room. It was filled with human suffering as a result of sickness, as a result of disease, as a result, a lot of the human suffering, and there were animals in there too. The suffering uh, was uh, uh, suffering that was in the world. Most of it was done because of what humans were doing to others. It was human-induced suffering. And I remember I saw that. Uh, it just became too much. It was chilled. Oh, it was just awful. And I screamed out, do something. Way louder than that in my heart. I was hollering it to him. Do something. And when I said those words, immediately that room, the, the vision shifted. That room changed to be a compartment in the heart of God. And when I had seen that massive room of human suffering, I was be it was just almost too much to take. Their suffering, it was just, oh, so assaulting and painful to look at. But when I said those words and it became a, a compartment in the heart of God, I was more aware of his pain for the suffering than I was even the people. And in that moment, I loved him. But it mattered. I loved him. That he didn't try to get us out of his heart and get us away, get us away from him. He wanted to do something to help us. There is a curse and a weakness that comes as a result of sin, and Jesus was exposed to not only sin, but also the collateral damage. And on purpose, Jesus was paraded in his life by everything that eventually he would carry so that when God laid it on him, there was no surprise. He knew what would be put on him. In the Old Testament, before Jesus came, there was a provision through animal sacrifices, innocent animals, to represent or to, to bear um, the sins of all of us. I mean, this was in the Old Testament. So human sin. So that um, 
uh, it couldn't take sin away, but it could cover things so that man could work and walk with God. So that was in the Old Testament. Let's just look at some things. Let's look at the first creature. This was a ram. They had one of the one of the animals that was designated uh, through sacrifice and offering was a ram to bear everything wrong with us. Again, this is in the Old Testament. And um, let's look at another animal. This was another designated animal. This was a bull. The, the bull was also to be a carrier or a burden bearer of what had burdened people. All right? So let's look and see in Leviticus, the first chapter and verse 4. It says here, And he shall lay both his hands upon the head of the burnt offering, transferring symbolically his guilt to the victim. And it shall be an acceptable atonement for him. Couldn't take the sin away, but it would cover it so that that person with the sin could then approach God. All right, so the sin, like we were singing it, about that big chasm that sin had separated. There was no way I could get to God because uh, sin makes that gap. But uh, through animal sacrifice in the Old Testament, there was a covering. So uh, let's look at the next picture. This was another animal that was used in sin offering or sacrifice in a sheep. So we have a ram, a bull, a sheep, and if a person was poor, they could even use birds. But the basic thing that we want to take away is they were innocent. These animals never did anything wrong. But this man kneeling in front of this lamb with his hand on his head did. He had sinned. And the way that it was arranged, uh, actually the scripture says he'll lay both hands, they, not just one. This picture just shows one, but in, in the, the way that it was arranged in, Le, in Leviticus is they would lay both hands. And in, in doing that, it would be symbolically they would transfer their wrongdoing and the collateral damage of wrongdoing, they transferred it to this animal. Now, that's pretty confronting, especially in this day and age when animals, animal rights are to the moon, you know. <laughs> yeah, because this animal hadn't done anything wrong. It's, it's very personal. This man is touching this innocent animal, transferring his guilt, sin, and collateral damage to him. And I do have a picture. I didn't include it in here, but just... It's just so confronting. After that's transferred, then that little animal is killed. And that innocent blood, not holy blood like Jesus has, but innocent blood within a tone for that man, that guilty man. Amazing, isn't it? Let's look at this, Leviticus 8, verse 14. Now, this is an account of the induction uh, the consecration process of priests. And um, 
there was only one, one tribe of Israel that could even be a priest. You know what? Why not the Bible, one of the things it says about you, whether you've ever claimed it or not, but it's still true whether you claim it or not. You just wouldn't, wouldn't act like it unless you do claim it. But one of the things you are is a priest to God. You can represent God to people, and you can represent people to God in prayer. That's who you are, whether you've ever known it, whether you've ever known it. And if you don't act, know it, you, then you won't act like it because you don't act like who you are. You act like who you think you are. That's why it's important to know what the Bible says you are so you can act like who you are. One of the things the Bible says you are is a priest. Well, one of the processes of the priest was this, because there were quite a number of things they had to do to be, get in the priesthood. Then he brought a bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the bull of the sin offering. So let's look at the next picture. It kind of looked like this. We weren't there, but it would kind of look like this. And the same process happened. They transferred the sin to this receptacle of sin. If you could imagine uh, th these bodies, remember that we're talking about the body. There had to have been a receptacle for the junk. Where do you put, there's designated places for contagious stuff, toxic stuff. There's designated receptacles, appropriate receptacles that, that garbage can be dealt with and can be taken away because garbage left un, undealt with draws vermin and, and disease. And these animals that we've just shown pictures of were receptacles, almost like a trash bin for sin and then the collateral damage of sin, the weakness, the sickness, the disease was dumped in these bodies. And then those bodies were dealt with. And there's other kinds of sacrifices, too. We're just looking at these three today. Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews tells us that God desires, his desire for reconciliation, to make everything right between humans and him, could not be achieved by these animal sacrifices, though. It was very temporary. And they had to happen over and over and over, over and over and over and over and over. Because um, animal blood uh, didn't suffice to reconcile and make people holy and righteous. But it does tell us, goes on to tell us, that God did prepare a body. He, God himself, not a church organization, not a denomination, nope, God himself arranged and provided for himself a body to deal with our junk, okay? Um, Isaiah 54. Now, this is a prophetic um, verse of Scripture about what 
you know, everybody's going to be looking into this next week, probably worldwide. We look into it all the time, but, and, and believers do all over the world, but it's just collectively, everybody will be looking at these, these events of redemption together. Isaiah 53, and let's look at verse 4. We'll start with verse 4. Yet it was our weaknesses. Now look at this, that he did what? He carried. Keep going. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. As we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment of his own sins. Verse 6. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord, look at this, laid on him the sins of us all. All of human sin went into one receptacle, went into one place, and that was his body. Keep going. Verse 11, when he sees all that was accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous because he, look at this, will bear all their sins. Keep going. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. And look at this. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. How did he bear them? In that body that God prepared, a human body, human sin that opened uns. Speakable collateral damage in this world. Human sin committed against other humans, other things, other of God's creation. God put it all in Jesus. First Peter, the second chapter and verse 24. He personally, look at this, it says it directly. He carried our sins in his body on the cross, that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. Let's look at another one. Matthew eight seventeen. Matthew eight seventeen, And thus he fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, he himself took in order to carry away our weaknesses, infirmities, and bear away our sicknesses. So 1 Peter 2.24 says, in his body, he bore our sins. This verse of scripture said he carried our weaknesses and our pains that came as a result and collateral damage of sin. Praise the Lord. So the next time when we have communion, which we're going to have it together in just a little bit, and you hold the bread in your hand, whether you're here together with the church family, whether you're with friends at home, whether you're in a restaurant, whether you're in your kitchen table, whether you're in your car, wherever you do it, and how often as you do it, we do not just look at this narrowly and, you know, here we go again, here we go again, and it's a religious tradition. 
In the same way that baptism is not a religious tradition, it's a way that we physically participate with something that happened a long time ago is a spiritual fact. Communion also is another ordinance of the church that gives you something physical to connect with something eternal that happened 2,000 years ago. It's real. So when you hold a piece of bread in your hand for communion, this represents a receptacle where everything putrid about you and about anyone else was put in the body. And he took it. I've told you this before in another message, but it dawned on me one day when I was taking communion at home that the body of Jesus, although it was covered with wounds, not one of them was defensive wounds. Not one wound on the body of Jesus was a defensive wound where he was warding off. When these things were being laid on him, he was not trying to ward off and protect himself. Every wound on Jesus, and through those wounds, things are sin, everything wrong, everything weak, everything compromised, everything contaminated was laid on him. So we're really, really grateful for the bread that represents his body. And we do this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, until he comes again. Until he comes again. We announce his death until he comes again. In other words, there is another coming of the Lord, and there is indeed another coming of the Lord. He is coming again. In fact, let's just say it. I think we'd be, be, it would be good for us today to put these words in our mouth, say, Jesus is coming again. He indeed is coming again. The first coming required his physical body. His return is going to require his body, but it is is a different body. It's, a, it's what we call a mystical body, but that kind of sounds woo-woo, doesn't it? What is the body that we're talking about now? The purpose of Jesus' second coming requires the body of Christ. Requires the body of Christ. Ephesians, the first chapter, there is a prayer that we're only going to read a portion of, but it is a prayer uh, for the, the church. We personalize it. We put our names in it, and uh, that, makes, that makes it stick sometimes when we personalize. But actually, the prayer was not prayed by the Apostle Paul for an individual. It was prayed for the whole church. It was prayed for the church. So we're going to start with verse 19, and it says this, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power to us who believe. And you may think, really? Why do I need to know that? Just happy for me if there's somebody that does know the power, and you know, if I need some power, I can get to somebody that has the power. No, every person in the body of Christ, Paul said, needs to understand the power of God. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. If you and I don't understand that God is powerful and that his power is to usward who believe, then we'll function in a Christian life with zip power and zip power in a Christian life misrepresents the head. It says that God has flunked. He's incapable and he's incapacitated over time or whatever. His body needs to represent the head well. And so he, Paul was praying for the church. He said, help them to understand the power that's available to them when they believe. Much like the electricity in this building is available to this building. But it doesn't turn on in this room until somebody hits the switch. And it releases power into this room through these lights. The power of God is available to everything, but it isn't, it isn't on. It isn't manifested in every place unless it is released through somebody who believes it, who believes it, okay? So he said, I pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of his power who believe. This is the same mighty power that happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki when the atomic bombs were dropped. Is that what it says? What is the mighty power of God? Is the mighty power of God, uh, you know, explosive jet engine power? What is the mighty power of God? Well, the Bible goes on to say what the mighty power of God is. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Next week, we'll be celebrating that. But I'm telling you what, it's to be celebrated more than just one day of the week because the greatest power available, available is resurrection power. And it's, a, it's available and manifesting to people who believe raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler and authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Now, next verse. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Next verse. The church is his body. Remember, we're talking today about body. The church is the body of Christ. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Um, we call this church. You say, I, I'm going to go to church. Actually, we're going to a building, but... <clears throat> uh, th this is where a church meets, but actually not the whole church. We are a portion of the church. We could say it this way. We're a portion of the body. We're a portion of the body. Um, let's, uh, I want you to see something. If you'll go to Ephesians, the fifth chapter and verse 23, I'll read two other verses of scripture. Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church, and we are members of his body. Why is that important? Okay. Um, it, it wouldn't be correct to say, I'm the body of Christ. 
we may have said that, but actually, it would be like saying that your eyeball is your body. No, it's not your body. It's your eyeball. It's a part of your body. It wouldn't be right to say your hand is your body. No, it's a part of your body, a necessary part of your body, as is your kneecaps, a part of your body. It's not the entire body. Individually, you and I are not the body, but we are members of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is not... Um, is not everyone in this room, you know, see what I mean. We're, everyone in this room is a member of the body, but the body of Christ are believers all over the world and for all time, I mean, ever since the church began, and also those in heaven that we sang about today that have already gone home and heard well done. They're a part of the same body. We're all one body, and it is a glorious body. It's an amazing body. It's way more supernatural than we think. Sometimes we're just sitting there thinking, ah, eh, they're not much to me. And you look down the row and you think, eh, not much not to you either. You know, there's not much to any of us. But when we realize who we are, that we're not just a a, a bunch of flesh sitting on a chair right now. We are the body of Christ. We are our, um, members, excuse me, of the body of Christ. And knowing who you are is really, really important. Um, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. It says, some of you, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we are all baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. There's many denominations, different kind of church names, but there's only one body and we've been baptized into that body. Next week, there's going to be people baptized into water. That's one baptism and it's, real, it's beautiful. It's, it's a holy, holy thing and beautiful. But there is another baptizing there's another baptism that is done by the Spirit of God, and that is when you got saved, you got baptized, immersed into the whole body of Christ. You say, is that a big deal? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I, uh, let me just say this. Um, you know... There were prophecies about Jesus coming, his first coming, that um, when Jesus started healing and restoring, people were going, oh, oh, I, that's a prophecy. That's a prophecy. However, when Jesus started becoming tortured, it's easy for us to understand on this side of the cross, but on the other side, nobody got it. They were saying, this shouldn't be happening to the body. This shouldn't be happening to him. This is wrong. This, this is terrible. This shouldn't be happening to the body. And well, I just want to say this. When I'm telling you today that you're a member of the body of Christ, it can sound, well, that's interesting. That's that kind of interesting. There's some things as we get come, come closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ 
that we'll participate in not only before the coming of the Lord, but in the ages to come that we would not get to unless we were a member of the body of Christ. We are... There are some amazing and supernatural um, displays of resurrection power that are going to come through the body. They are coming through now, but it will increase and increase and increase. These are good days, and it's important that you know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, somebody can tell you all kind of things. Your personal identity as a human If you get confused about who you are as a human, you'll start to stagger and somebody will tip you over. In your dizzy state, it's easy to push you over. But who you are in Christ, not just who you are as a human, but who you are in Christ, it's essential that you know who you are so that the spirit of this world doesn't tell you who you are and you start staggering around in a, in a spiritual drunken stupor, not acting like a child of God. I'm telling you from the word of God today, you are a member of the body of Christ and there is no defeat in that body. Do people in the body of Christ experience defeat? Yes, but there is power to help us and to encourage us and to raise us and to heal us and to help us. Praise the Lord. Individualism was introduced in the world's uh, mentality, (laughs) the spirit of this world, I should say, back in the 1800s. Individualism. And and actually, uh, when it first arrived, it sounded good. It, It elevated the individual's worth where before it wasn't uncommon for nationalism to uh, uh, a nation's value to diminish the individual's value. So, for instance, if you were in China and even still today, the nation of China is far more important than the individual. The individual's expendable. So individualism... In, in, introduced, said, you're important. You are important. A nation can be important, but you are important. That sounds good, doesn't it? The only thing is it's, it's increased, 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 like a tsunami it's increased until um, even those way back in the 1800s saw where it would, where it would lead to Basically, this uh, political philosopher, Alexis D., and it's a French name I can't say. Trust me. Um, I won't try. Uh, But he described individualism in terms of kind of immoderate selfishness that deposed humans to be concerned only with their own small circle of family and friends. And there's other things that were written about individualism. Paul said this is a as a sign of the end of time, he said, men will become lovers, what? Of themselves. When you become lover of yourself, you have to start, stop loving others because people are bothering you. And not everybody's contributing to your happiness and to your, and to what makes you happy. If you're not going to make me happy, go away from me. 
And that's why uh, you can hear on so many, I, I don't know, maybe they've tuned it down because it almost becomes uh, sickening when there is this terminology of you deserve this, you deserve this. It just feeds, oh, I deserve it. I deserve you're not being nice to me. You don't deserve to be my friend. Uh, in fact, spit on you. Uh, I, I curse you. You're, I, I, I hope you die. Or maybe don't die, but just stay away from me. Individualism can, can develop into a real narcissistic thing that does not befit a member of the body of Christ. It is not our mentality. Yes, he died for us individually, but he didn't just die for us individually and let the rest go to hell. As long as I'm okay in heaven, we're all good. And my family. Okay, and some close friends. But as long as, you know, pretty much the people that matter to me and on the rest of the world, that's individualism. It is not from the mind of Christ. It's from the pit of hell, and we're not having it in the body of Christ. It does matter what happens to people, even people that we don't know, people that are not like us. It matters. It matters to Jesus, the head, and so it matters to us as his body. Is this making sense? Let's look at a verse of Scripture. Or I mean, I want to tell... In the last few minutes here, I want to um, uh, just read a list of, there's 59 times in the New Testament where it encourages us towards one another. It's one thing for us to have eyes for Jesus, eyes for the Lord. And Peter and James and John were up in the mount with transfiguration with Jesus. And, and there was Moses and Elijah. And Jesus was transfigured. And Peter said, Jesus, let me build three tents here. Let's stay here. Fooey on those folk down there. Let's stay on this mountain where it's all ooh, super spiritual and nice. The glorious and there was a voice that came out of heaven and said, this is my son, listen to him. You know what Jesus said? Come on, we're going down. Jesus didn't say, we're staying up here, you know, in this, in this place and let the whole rest of the world rot. It's what's coming to him. Jesus said, come, we're going down. And you know what was down? A little boy that was possessed of the devil, that was throwing himself into fire and then sometimes into water. And the dad was beside himself and said, I can't, I've tried everything. I've, I can't get anyone to help him. Can you help him? Jesus said, if you believe me, I can. He said, I believe. Just help any gap in my unbelief. Have you ever felt like that? Could I, if I have a gap, help me. Jesus commanded that rotten spirit out of that little boy, and that little boy was raised up whole. That little boy wasn't on the mountain. He was down. This body, is, this body of believers is to be activated with great might, but not just for a glorious, you know, display of fireworks. No. Where we go, ooh, ah, such power. 
It's practical power to deliver people from oppression of the devil. It's practical power to help lift people from places of being destitute. It's practical power. He just needs the body to represent his compassion to people and that they matter. Listen to these for one another. We start with one another. <laughs> Listen to these commands and just we're going to race through them quickly. Love one another. Be do- these are verses of scripture, 59 of them. We'll love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded toward one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interest of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another, exhort one another, stir up uh, one another to love and good works, show hospitality to one another, employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another. And these are some things to not do for one another. Don't lie to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. If you keep biting and devouring each other, you'll, destroy, you'll be destroyed by each other. Uh, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. And we do all this because we, have, we are, in a real sense, members of each other. We're going to have more and more victories among us. And you know whose victories they are? They're all of ours. If you have, if you have anything happen in God in your life, we're blessed. It's not singular. It's experienced in the body. If you're suffering, we're all suffering. If you're rejoicing, we're all rejoicing. Let's amp it up. Let's turn up the volume. Let's let Let's let each other know praise reports. Let's let each other know things that we need, areas of prayer that we need. Let's see the compassion of God strengthen this body from glory to glory. And let's be glorious in the world and a sign and a wonder the principalities and powers that the church is to demonstrate the wisdom of God to praise the Lord. We're a glorious body and it's good to smile at each other. Praise the Lord. If the team can come. In these days, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is on task to not only cause us to know the head better, and I want to know him more. I still come to know things about him that make me cry. Not sad, just amazed. There's a song we used to sing growing up. It says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. The chorus says, oh, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song will ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love to me. We'll never, ever come to the end of knowing him. But I'm telling you, knowing him 
is also knowing one another because one another is his body, is his body. Hallelujah. I'd like us to do, just do something together, just to exercise compassion that we all have. I'd like us to just think of someone, not in our family, not in our immediate family, beyond our immediate family, just beyond, can be far beyond, or can just be, you know, just the next circle out. But outside of our family, I want you to think of a person right now. First person that comes to mind, first person that comes to mind. Don't, don't dilly-dally or think, think too hard. First person, and put him in your hand. Put, put that person in your hand. And let's just lift that person up to the Lord in compassion today. Ask God to bless them. Dear Heavenly Father, people all over this room are being represented before your throne. People's lives, their homes, their bodies, their lives being lifted up before your throne today. And we're asking you to help people that are being lifted up today encourage them strengthen them in Jesus name healing where is necessary forgiveness and help where is necessary mercy where it's needed in Jesus provision where it's needed and we give you thanks for it now let's just thank him for it because he's it doesn't take long but let's just praise him let's just thank him Lord thank you for your love to me but thank you that you love more than me thank you you love all the people given me a place to represent you in this world. I pray, Father God, for anybody that is here today who has never personally known the resurrection power of Jesus or known the love of God by accepting that love into their life. Father, we love this about your nature that you don't break doors in and you don't assault your strong love that does knock and knock and knock and knock and knock on people's heart's door until they say yes, yes. Today I invite you to say yes to Jesus. Come into my life, Jesus. Say those words. Come into my life. If you've never said that, say it today. Come into my life. If you've never prayed that, say come into my life. Be my Lord. I don't want to be my own God. I don't want to be my own Lord. I don't want somebody else to be my Lord. I want Jesus to be my Lord. Say those words. Come, come, come in my heart. He will. You don't have to beg him. He's waiting. He's waiting for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Get the bread. Let's take the bread together. Accept him, even as you take, as we take communion today. If you've never, if you're just accepting Jesus today, this may be the way that you do it today. Along with the rest of us, say, I believe what you did for me in your physical body. As I hold this piece of bread in my hand, it represents the body that bore and was the receptacle of all sin and the collateral damage of sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did in your body, and I believe it. 
I believe it. Can we just say that together? I believe it. Now let's take let's take it and eat it. Thank you that I don't have to bear in my body and in my life what Jesus bore in his. Now, we take the cup. I thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus that came, was poured out when our sins and, and sorrows and everything was poured up, was put on Jesus. That blood came out to reconcile us back to God. I believe it. I believe in the power of the blood. If you do, Say it with me. Say, I believe it. Let's drink. Praise the Lord. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.